Welcome to this episode of TechLinking Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management platform, for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. Today, we're going to do something slightly different. Across the profession, there are many people going beyond diploma and even beyond chartered. Several universities have master's qualifications and students have been undertaking significant research. Our interview today explores the research, its findings, but also the journey. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Anna Blake, who completed her dissertation in 2023. Hello, Anna. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for asking me. Well, I'm prepared for this uh, for this chat. Um, I've got my uh, tea ready, and today it's a gunpowder tea, so uh, something strong to get me through this interview. How have you prepared? Um, well, I haven't got a cup of tea, Eddie, because as blasphemous as it is, I don't actually like tea. So Correct. instead, I've got a glass of water. Just water. Just water. Just water. Well, enjoy your glass of water. Um, well, thank you for sharing a copy of your research in advance. Um, so I, I was reading it through and I noticed uh, it was focused on job satisfaction for uh, power planners. So I'm curious, how did you decide to look at this particular piece of research? Well, I've worked with power planners for a few years now launching an internal paraplanner symposium, a paraplanner of the year award, and some other internal support, all of which aim to support the professionalisation of paraplanners. Now, along the way, I've been aware of the fairly low retention rate of this population. Around about 30% of paraplanners leave every year, which is quite a lot. So when the chance came up to undertake this master's, I knew that I wanted to do something looking at power planners. And as you know, Eddie, from your own research, you need a really narrow question to research. And so I ended up settling on looking at what factors influence job satisfaction of power planners and what we can do to improve that retention rate. Power planners in general are relatively unstudied so this felt like a really good gap I could fill. And uh, so that, that, that obviously is an area that you um, have expertise in, which is, which is always good and always helpful when you're doing your research. Um, so having done your research, what do you think the main findings were? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, my findings showed that job satisfaction of power planners is multidimensional. So alongside the traditional job satisfaction factors of pay and benefits, training, recognition and feedback, there are some key outcomes that don't tend to form part of those traditional theories. So employment status, stakeholder relationships and professionalisation. Those three elements are all interlinked and made a really cool Venn diagram. And it's really important to have a good diagram when it you're is. doing your research. 
Um, so just just talk me through the the this employment status and and the link to job satisfaction. Uh, yeah, it's a really bold statement to make, but the findings showed that self-employed para planners were happier than para planners employed within a practice. And this appears to be mostly down to the control they have over their working life, how much they charge, what hours they work, and even which advisors they choose to work with. And I could go into the theoretical reasons as to why this is, but it's basically about how closely your expectations meet what actually happens. And for self-employed para planners, that gap is closer, which means they're more satisfied. That's that's really interesting. And um, you mentioned stakeholder relationships as being important. Do you want to explore that a little bit more? Yeah, so firstly, and probably not unexpectedly, their relationship with advisors was really important. So where para planners felt a key part of the advice process had great case handoffs and were allowed to perform to the best of their ability, they felt really valued. Another key stakeholder relationship was with their fellow para planners. We know from the theories that feeling part of a community has positive impacts on job satisfaction. And this rang true for our para planners. But what was really interesting was that they didn't necessarily need to feel part of a big para planner community, but more local peer networks where they could share best practice or ask questions of each other. And this was really important for those who work alone or are the only para planner in the office, for example. And the final element that you mentioned was professionalism. How does that play uh, in a sort of satisfaction situation? Well, it's probably the most important yet complex area. So para planning is on a journey to move from an occupation into a profession. And that came out as being really important. But how does that happen? There aren't any set rules that says something in particular has to happen to professionalise a role. But we do know in general, for a profession to be so-called, it should have an overseeing professional body and minimum standards to entry, which is called exclusive competence. And those barriers to entry are really important because they create that special community that gives professional identity to those within it. Otherwise, anyone can do the role and that just devalues the profession. There was a clear steer from my research that para planners wanted to have some of that demarcation around the role to elevate para planning. They wanted there to be minimum standards to show the industry of the important role they play in formulating the advice to the client. So where do you think para planning is on the journey? Well, it's not there yet. So whilst professional bodies like the CII, CISI and LIBF do lots of work with para planners, there isn't a para planning professional body that sets and oversees standards. Likewise, there is no minimum standard to entry. So at the moment, anyone can call themselves a para planner, whether they have experience or qualifications or not. And para planning is really very broad. So what a para planner does in one role is very different to what 
a power planner in a different role does. And that makes it really hard for advisors to know how to recruit and retain power planners and also makes it really hard for power planners to create a career path because they simply don't know what it should look like. As part of your research, um, you completed a literature review which looked at theories and wider research. Um, what did you learn from that literature review, which is probably one of the, the biggest parts of the of the dissertation? Yeah, I learned there's a lot of things to read. Um, but the theories I, I looked at was around job satisfaction and motivation. And I researched a lot around Hertzberg's motivation and hygiene factors theory, which did hold some weight with my research. But the other most important theory was Locke's value theory, which was much more impactful. Now, Locke said that the closer the output is to our expectations, the happier we are. And another key theory was the impact of professionalisation on job satisfaction. And that essentially says that where an occupation has professional identity, so the exclusive competency that I mentioned earlier, people felt happier. Now, what was interesting was I couldn't find any academic studies into paraplanners at all during my review. So it was really interesting to apply those other studies to paraplanners to see if they held true or not. Now, I note that your research was uh, what they call mixed methods, so surveys and interviews. Um, how did that go? Did it go to plan? What did you learn from it? Well, I quickly learned that using a mixed method approach basically doubles your work. Um, so I initially surveyed around a thousand power planners and had a response from 441. And from all the questions I asked, I ended up with over 35,000 data points to analyse, which is an awful lot of work. But there is some really good software out there that helps do that for you. Now, the data showed some really interesting results, mainly that the vast majority of people were satisfied in their role. They felt motivated and felt that power planning is their career. And power planners are more likely to feel satisfied and motivated when they feel confident in their role and feel a key part of the advice process. But the only variable of note I could find in all of that data was employment status that I mentioned earlier. And so whilst that data is great, it doesn't tell me anything about the why. And this is where the interviews come in. So I interviewed eight power planners and their answers give that rich understanding that data just can't provide. And if I go back to the original problem I was trying to solve, which was to increase the retention rate for power planners, the most interesting point is that this might not be a problem at all. So what appears to happen is that young, inexperienced power planners join a practice as an employee. They learn their trade, get qualified, and for many of them, the next logical step is to become a self-employed power planner, where they have that control over their working life, but still tend to stay in that wider financial services family. And um, what do you feel we can learn from, from your research? 
Well, I've already started to use my research to make some changes from setting up a Power Planner podcast to looking to see how we can support the professionalisation of this key population with some sample career matrices and working with external people like the Power Planning Club. But I think my biggest learning point that I really want to, to share is that an experienced qualified power planner can offer a massive amount to an advisor or a practice if they're used in the correct way. A power planner is there to offer challenge, to make suggestions and to use all of their skills and knowledge to ensure great client outcomes. They want to be involved in the advice process. They want to be appreciated and valued for their input and the professionals that they are. Now, it's highly likely that some of the listeners will uh, be thinking about doing a master's themselves Mm -hmm. um, and and hopefully you haven't put them off as yet. (laughs) Um, What what tips would you give them? Um, Well, so my first tip is, is definitely do it. So I haven't ever been to university before, so actually the whole prospect was quite daunting. It is a lot of work, but I am really glad I did it. Now, I only did it because one of my colleagues who did it the previous year said it was the easiest thing they've ever done. I'm pretty sure they probably lied. But actually, the point they're making is you aren't learning anything new. It's not like doing an RO or an AF exam where you have to take on board new information. Instead, you're researching and analysing information. So it's a very different way of learning. And if you can make it relevant to your job, then it's even more interesting because you can do something positive with that outcome. So I'm intrigued now. Who thought it was the easiest thing they, they'd ever done? Paul They're Matthews. Not... Paul Matthews. <laughs> Paul Matthews. Yeah. He said it was the easiest really? thing he'd ever done. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, having gone through it myself, I can't say it was the easiest thing that I've ever done. Um, oh, yeah. but... Maybe maybe it was for Paul. Um, so as, as listeners know, we, we always ask our guests for three great tips about studying for a master's. Um, could, you, could you share your three great tips, please? Yeah, so my first one is learn from previous students. So I found a lot of the tutors spoke in academic language that I didn't understand. And not having done a dissertation before, I just didn't understand the process. So I spoke to my colleagues who had done the master's and they explained in really simple terms what things actually meant. My second tip is to use your cohort effectively. Set up a WhatsApp group and use them to bounce ideas off. You can even act as research participants for each other. But really importantly, don't compare your progress to theirs because that's a very dangerous game to get into. And my third tip would be to use your tutor effectively. I met with mine once a month, arranged in advance. Ask if you can record the meetings because I spent an awful lot of time frantically scribbling their nuggets of wisdom down and then couldn't remember what they meant afterwards. That's uh, 
the point about the WhatsApp group was really interesting because um, I found that uh, it's very tempting to compare progress. And uh, the easiest mm-hmm. thing is, to, is, is actually to totally ignore the WhatsApp group. Um, and uh, But it's quite, <laughs> at the same time, I learned something right at the end, which was quite relevant, which I completely missed. So, uh, <laughs> so there's a temptation not to, to 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 compare and not to listen to the other WhatsApp group conversations, but actually, it's that sharing of oh, I found this, I found that. I yeah. think it's really important. It's really important not to compare. Um, I'm at this stage with my tutor. Uh, where are you at your stage with your computer with the tutor? Because I think that's where you can get yourself. A false sense of security or a complete blind panic that you're you're far behind um and so so actually each tutor seemed to do things differently and uh and and i think that was important to note because they were tailoring it to to the individual um, absolutely in terms of uh, your three great tips now listeners know that i'm a huge fan of desert island discs and uh and listeners of Desert Island Disc will know that the waves come in and uh, take away all the records. So let's assume the waves have come in and have taken away uh, two of your great tips, and you're only left with with one must-do tip. Which which one would you would you do? Um, well, I think I've been sneaky because all of mine basically mean the same thing, which is to use the resources available to you. So I'll just go with that. Use the people you have. They are there to support you. You see, you're so efficient. So efficient. (laughs) Well, Anna, uh, we've come to the end. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights today. Really informative. Uh, It's been great to catch up as always. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Tenpon Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.